You're listening to Drawn to a Deeper Story. I'm Kath Brew from drawntoastory.com. I'm an artist who illustrates and educates about marginalised experiences for positive change, with a particular interest in identity, belonging and expat life. This podcast is about the lives that challenge us and the difficult conversations around them. And it's a place to listen openly, to absorb people's truths and to learn how to show up differently for the benefit of everyone. And that's you included, the listener, you. (laughs) Now, as many of you know, much of my work is about LGBTQ plus inclusion and advocacy and in helping people to be better allies, I talk a lot about the reality of the lives of LGBTQ plus people. But what about the people who love them? And I actually want to be really specific with this and focus on trans kids and their parents. And I loathe at the moment how trans people are becoming increasingly politicised and weaponised and kids, they need our protection. And yes, they need our protection 100%. But over the years, one of the things I've seen in my work is the need to also help their parents. And what are they adjusting to? What are they trying to navigate? And we know that parenting's a tough job at the best of times, but add your child's gender dysphoria and then the social and cultural expectations and attitudes on top of that. And parenting can change and go up a gear very, very quickly. So this week I'm chatting with Jennifer Kilpack about parenting a trans child. Jennifer is a wife and a mother of three very unique kids and is raising her family whilst running a business in the Middle East. She is passionate about social justice issues, travel and helping facilitate safe spaces where people from different cultures can grow in understanding of one another. So welcome to the show, Jennifer. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you for everything you do as well. My pleasure. So in your description, you refer to very unique kids, your very unique kids. Can you tell me a little a little bit more about what that actually means? Oh, boy. Well, um, my kids are experiencing a very unique childhood, I think. Um, we chose to move to the Middle East now almost 14 years ago. So when I came, I was um, three months pregnant and my first child was 10 months old. Mm-hmm. And so they've been raised bilingual as Americans in an all Arab school that are the minority there, um, which we think is a really cool, unique experience and giving them a very different lens on the world. So they're all turning out, I think, in, in with their own unique personalities and how they're processing that. But it's it's really fun to see how how different their experience is, for example, from their cousins um, stateside. And that must be a, ple- uh, I was gonna say a pleasure, but also a real joy to see them evolving in that way. Yeah, I think as a parent, you don't, you overestimate the influence that you have on them. And then <laughs> as they become, you know, uh, these these young adults, these preteens, they start to develop their own uh, person, their, mm. their own individual way of seeing things and perceiving things and making decisions. It's it's really exciting, but you also realize you're just kind of a guide on that journey. <laughs> you're not yeah. in control. <laughs> no, <laughs> I think I think probably parents before they become parents think they are, and then they they learn very very quickly <laughs> about how control changes. Right. So I wanted to ask you particularly about your child who came out as trans to you and when they said to you that they were trans what went through your mind what were your immediate thoughts well um they'd previously told us um at the time uh we our our child is female born so they told us previously that they thought that maybe they were a lesbian Mm -hmm. so that was one step in our journey and that we we took in stride i mean it was a it was, oh, this is interesting. This is an adjustment of how we maybe anticipated the future working out in terms of relationships, but it was relatively, you know, hiccup free. We, we, we took it, we talked through it, we moved on. It just didn't seem to be this earth shaking um, thing in terms of uh, our family life. And, and then when our child came out as trans, it was a completely different process in that we, um, 
it was the same exact time as the start of the pandemic when things got really out of control and we were in severe lockdown and, you know, unable to leave our homes. And then with this news and then running a business and all the changes that came, it was a really stressful time in our lives. So it was, uh, I, I would say like, there was just so much going on that it, sometimes it feels a little bit of a blur. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, did did you find that lockdown helped in that way that it allowed you to deal with it more closely just as a family? Yes and no. There were a couple of things that were interesting about it because we didn't have to interact with the rest of the world as we figured out what it meant for our lives. Yeah. Um, but the other concern was that just that we we never got away from it. It was just constant. And Mm -hmm. so it felt a little bit more heightened and that there weren't any breaks. It was, it was kind of all the time being around your kids. And at that time, um, our other two children didn't have, um, they weren't in on knowing. Mm -hmm. So we were, we were processing in secluded ways, um, without it just being in the open. Um, so there are parts of it that were a good pause in life, a little bit of a timeout and then other things that made it maybe more intense than it might be otherwise. Yeah. I guess it made it hard to then try and work out what you're going to do, like, and how you can seek support and what's open to you when the whole world was shut down and where you live as well. Part of me kind of feels like it must have felt kind of suffocating at times because you can't, you want to be doing the right thing and and trying to, to process all this, but also it's, it just, it's all consuming as well. We had a lot of questions. I mean, mm. we're living in the Middle East and we we have a lot of interactions with very conservative people. Mm. We did not know how our life would go on here, honestly. We just were not able to see how it would impact things in the future. And so um, that unknown felt very heavy. Yeah. Were you and your husband on the same page with everything? Like, were there impacts for your marriage? Because it's hard enough just navigating it one person but then or a couple who are on the same page but if you're not then that that's other stresses as well how did you guys cope with that well I would say yes like for the most part we are very much on the same page and we're very close in our our ways of seeing the world we often read Mm. the same books we've had so many of the same experiences living in different parts of the world um we've we've processed a lot together and so Mm. this felt like oh well this is just the next thing in our journey of course, you know, this is the the next thing that we're going to evolve into understanding better. And so in one sense, we felt this great peace that we were um, at the place we were in our adult life. And also like in our relationship, in terms of that, we, we were very much on the same page in being affirming people and loving. We were, we were best friends and, you know, it just, we were really committed to our child together. Um, so I would, while I would say it's a different experience of how we perceive potential future outcomes and our hopes for that I would say that we handled it in similar ways although he's a really emotional deep feeling person and so in a lot of ways we were grieving the loss of a daughter that we'd had for um, 12 years yeah that was going to be my next question actually was when you have a child you can't help but have expectations of their future life and something like this can for some people can completely blindside them and I wanted to ask you about how have you found that process of grief really of of changing your expectations and thinking of a different future the most important thing and for both of us really is that we end up with an an adult person who's acclimated in the world and is thriving and happy and really comes to understand who they are yeah, well adjusted and knows that they're loved and all that good stuff. Yes, it might, he's always been a, a more empathetic person in that he he feels things um, and with people very deeply. And so we watched the show, um, This Is Us. I don't know if you've ever seen that show. And Yes, I have. <laughs> we're the same age as those characters and it's such a good show, but he calls it the Cryberry Baby Show because every <laughs> every time we watch it, he he cries. And, um, and so his experience has been much more emotional than my own. Um, but we found that sometimes we are balancing each other. Like if he has a super low day where he's struggling, sometimes I'm up and then vice versa. So there's different aspects of it that we've struggled with. I think for him, Mm -hmm. the grief of a loss of 12 years experiencing a a child that we didn't see any signs that they were Mm -hmm. not female. 
Um, and, and losing that now watching home videos and things like that has a bitter sweetness to it. Yeah. Whereas for me, as the only female now in my family, there is a, a loss of that connection that I think I mm-hmm. hoped that I would have you know, mother-daughter sort of relationship in the future that has changed a little bit. Yeah. Yes, because when we spoke originally, you talked about a few scenarios of things that, like you say, with a mother-daughter um, relationship of learning and talking about shaving legs or makeup or all of those things. How did that, how, I mean, how did you navigate that with them? Yeah, I mean, our first response when we were told was one of shock, not that we Mm. reacted in shock, but that we internally just didn't see any signs that really helped confirm that reality for us personally. Um, Mm. So it felt like our, our child was saying something that was really it just took a lot of really reflecting on Mm. small signs that I'd missed to really start to confirm some of that story. Like when Mm. I taught uh, my child to, to shave his legs. And that Mm. for me was a really coming of age sort of thing for me as a, as a kid, and then never seeing them want to do that again, or um, doing a makeover one day uh, and just seeing the horror on my child's face. Like that was like almost abusive, um, yeah. very traumatic experience for them. And they wanted to wash their face right away. Um, yeah. But there was also a little bit of a sense of relief in that there were some pieces like um, there'd been a lot of uh, angry interactions with their brothers that made it more sense. Now um, we were able to understand why that was happening. And then over time, seeing some other indicators, like realizing that showers were really painful experiences uh, that made mm. them deeply uncomfortable. They would wear, um, he would wear a swimsuit or put on loud music, mm. uh, maybe even just not put on the lights. Um, one day I went into his room and there was a, a mirror he'd completely taped shut with paper so they couldn't, wow. he couldn't see his body. And for me, those were some huge aha moments where I was really able to feel deeply with them and realize that even if there were things I couldn't see or identify with, it wasn't obvious to me as a parent that there was definitely something going on that I had to definitely validify and be able to affirm, you know? Yeah. And there's nothing quite like, I mean, you can intellectually take in what someone's saying to you, but when you start to put all those things together and like you say that the mirror being covered and things like that, I imagine that's like, you suddenly start to embody that pain. You start to realize what that person's really going through. Yeah. And I also started to read um, a couple of books that really helped me. Um, the Actually, the school that my kids go to, they recommended uh, Nicole by Amy Nutt, um, mm-hmm. Transmission I read by Alex Birdie, Chaz Bono's um, book Transition. Um, some of those really helped me see some pieces that there were themes that aligned with mm-hmm. my kids' experience. And and then just being able to journey in those, those uh, stories um, and autobiographies, it really helped me to just come to terms with what possible things might take place in the future and, and yeah. really just get more settled with it all. Yeah. Yeah. And, and get prepared for a, like you say, a different future, just so you can be there in the way that you want to be rather than being taken by surprise by things. You, you, there's a level of preparation, which then also makes you able to be more supportive to your child rather than having to deal with your own reaction so much. Yeah. Another helpful thing was that, um, my, my kid was seeing a therapist, um, before and the therapist kind of got to a point where I think that she knew there was more going on and, and maybe my child had shared with her in Mm -hmm. confidence. And so this therapist kind of directed us to a gender therapist that was specifically had that specialty. And that person really helped us process our grief and confusion and in a private space and also know how to support our kid and and also hear out our child and give validity to their emotions and experience and then help communicate back to us things that maybe our, our child wasn't able to say to us directly. Yeah. Working with that mediator helped us to really process some of our emotions that were involved too. Yeah. And as you say, a safe space to just be able to say things that you don't want to say that might actually accidentally hurt your child or hurt somebody else in the family just to be able to have that space is wonderful to know from a recommendation point of view really for other people is that how helpful that 
that therapy can be with someone who is specializes in gender expansive kids like that. Yeah, I think it's a difficult line sometimes knowing how to be completely transparent with your kid because we have that kind of relationship for the most part. And then also just knowing that sometimes your emotions in this experience are too overwhelming for them to bear in addition to everything else they're going through. Yeah, yeah. And also they won't necessarily understand the role of a parent and what you're dealing with, but also neither should they. Like that's the whole thing of keeping those relationships different in that way. Like they're, they're different roles in the how you are as a family. I mean, what does this mean for your family on a daily basis? Can you talk through some of the issues that as a, as a whole family, rather than just your trans child or your relationship together? Well, the pronoun change is probably the, the first thing that we, we really pushed our child to share with his siblings Mm -hmm. because then it became a place where we could practice um, home. And so once everybody knew that we were using he and him pronouns and we could all know what was going on, it was much more calm at home. It, It didn't feel like we were hiding information from our other two kids. And then once we went to the school and shared what was going on too, and their reaction was so positive and supportive and affirming. And immediately they found, fantastic. yeah, and it's a fantastic school that's very tolerant, both in terms of nationality and religion and on so many fronts. Yeah. It's not what I would expect with the Middle East. So uh, it's just wonderful to hear that. <laughs> yes. And so they actually um, said that we were not the only families in the school, that there were half a dozen others and they assigned our child a bathroom that they could use because um, our child was experiencing some difficulty using either gendered bathroom in this culture. And so they found them that and got, and kind of addressed just sort of the most pressing needs. Um, And then we were really, we were shocked the next time we had, you know, parent teacher conferences, how many teachers already started using the right pronouns, even in this this culture where everything is so connected in Arabic to, you know, masculine, feminine in terms of addressing. That shows how much they're seeing you, like seeing your child, but also seeing you as a family. That's that's just wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Exactly. That's exactly what I w- would say. Just feeling seen. And mm. and although they, they couldn't, you know, say, oh, we guarantee that you'll be safe in all situations. They mm. they really said like this in this setting, we're going to do everything to to go to bat for your child. And yeah. And that's all you can ask for, isn't it? Really? Yeah. 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 And, and also if they're having difficulty, like they say they can't protect all the time, but that's kind of okay because then they know your child and you know that that the school and the staff are a safe space that you can go and talk to about if things do happen there is a space to go to exactly they appointed somebody that if they're anything they needed anything they could just go at any time to meet with this person and yeah we just so impressive yeah I think that was a huge hill that once we crossed, it felt like we we could come up for air and things started to feel much more manageable I was going to ask you that, how you approach the school, but <laughs> you've beautifully answered that already. I always think this with with when there's news in a family, like it stays in the family. And once you've worked that out, then it can go that little bit further. And it, it's a bit like when you drop a stone into a pond and it ripples out, but you're in a bit more control of the pace that it goes out. So you've kind of sorted it in from the family point of view and understanding and adjusting and then the school. How's it gone beyond that with interactions with people outside like in the Middle East or extended family or friends how how have you grappled that it's been tricky navigating the strangers um, Mm -hmm. or even acquaintances type of people like in a public setting I've often asked my kid like do you want me to use which pronouns do you want me to use? And sometimes I question myself, like depending on how they've chosen to identify that day, are they wearing, Mm. are they wearing clothes that are primarily masculine or feminine? Like we, Mm. we went to a doctor's appointment at a hospital and they made them a medical card and just put mail on the card right away because of how they were dressed that day. But other days, my child chooses to wear a dress and they still feel that that fits in with their version of, of how they express themselves with masculinity. But in this case, like it's very difficult out in public to then address them as male. Yeah. So I often ask my child, like, what would you like me to do? Cause there are some unnecessary battles that we mm. don't need to have with people that don't really hold meaning. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You choose who to have your battles with. And actually why, particularly when you're in a position of not knowing how someone's going to respond, you can be in 
to some degree in control of how you want to deal with that day as a family. If you're just tired and you just don't want to have to be dealing with it, it changes. Yeah. And my child is a fairly shy and reserved person and social interactions can be challenging. So mm. for me, I'm, I'm the opposite. I I'm okay with, <laughs> I'm okay with confrontation. So I have to kind of discern when those are times that my kid wants that. And when there are times that they're not, and sometimes it just doesn't cross my mind. Maybe at this point, I've sort of thought, Oh, it's obvious that my kid's trans. Everybody should just mm-hmm. know this. And that's something my kids said too. Like they said one time, I don't want to have to tell anyone. I want everybody just to know and acknowledge my truth. Mm, That's really powerful. I sometimes feel like I have to be the wind that sort of helps people know that if I know that Mm. they're going to be an advocate. So recently, you know, I told a baseball coach and he was so thankful to know. And it just had, I, I, they'd had several practices already and he'd addressed her with as a female. And, Mm. and then I heard it happening in, in a kind of a huddle situation one day. And, and so I told him afterwards and he was so thankful to know, I, I just not thought it hadn't occurred to me to to make sure he knew before they started the season, you know? So it's it's situations like that where I'm still trying to discern when it's time to speak up and at what point is it time to speak up? Yeah. It's also about your child slowly learning the responsibility of voicing who they are and how they want. Even I completely get that just wanting people to know, but part of any child, regardless of of gender, um, is also just about being able to work their way through the world and and start to speak up for who they are as well. Uh, One thing we did to help with that, I felt like there's a really um, good thing is last summer when we did go back to the States, we looked for an LGBTQ supportive affirming camp. All right. Yeah. And there is one out in Massachusetts called Odyssey. And it's, it's, uh, it's actually open to all kinds of, of people, not just LGBTQ, but they want to love on teen- teenagers and really help them build their identity in the world. And uh, so we sent we sent our kid for three weeks out there and they just returned a completely different individual. Mm. And <laughs> it was such a positive experience to have, you know, a lot of the, the camp counselors are work campers themselves. And so these role models of unique expression, because you know, here in the Middle East, although there are lots of people transitioning and um, in the LGBTQ community, it's it's completely underground. And so yeah. there's not like there's a lot of people to put our child in contact with. So we wanted to give them a place where they could go and really be with people to know they weren't alone in the world. Yeah, absolutely. And you say they were a completely different child when they came back. Were they just brighter and bubblier or how did that manifest? I think more grounded and just a better sense of that I'm I'm okay whatever direction I choose to go and it doesn't have to be one cookie cutter thing or look like one mm. thing there's actually all kinds of people who live this out in a different way. Yeah. And you can therefore see a space for yourself amongst all that. I mean we all growing up have that thing of nerves around dating and who's going to love me and all of those things but when you're then finally comfortable and living with as who you are it must be hard as a young person, like you just want to be like everyone else, but you're aware that there's this extra conversation that you have to have with people. How do they feel about that? And do you feel that there's an extra level of support that you have to offer your child to help them navigate dating and growing into adulthood in that way? Yeah. So our child's 14 and a half now. And, um, but initially, yes, I think there was a lot of panic that, that he experienced initially, like, where will I ever find my person? You know? Um, yeah. Uh, I had a friend from high school actually um, that I grew up with. Uh, we did a Zoom call with her, and and she she and her partner uh, live in the states, and um, and so this they just putting him in contact with some people they could ask about what's it like to look for someone who is not heteronormative and yeah and. Somebody to give them some answers of like, hey, here's how I found my person. And here's other Mm. dating experiences I had where somebody, you know, match make me with somebody. And and those Mm. sort of conversations help them uh, feel like a little bit more um, less concerned, I think, about the future. Yeah, he must have found that wonderful. Like I remember even with with Ben Gay of, of just seeing other people's stories and realizing that it wasn't all doom and gloom that you could find somebody and there were people and it, it's just learning that. So I think, for, I mean, it sounds like you've been doing an absolute incredible job, 
parenting him and it's just I wish more kids had had what you've done and that you could be <laughs> you could be a parent to lots of other trans kids um because a lot of them don't don't have such wonderful experiences so I just wanted to um honor that really and say that to you publicly because it's just it fills my heart with joy to hear what what you've been doing and that's what proper support is to me it, it's wonderful um is there anything that you would add of what you think being a good parent is to a trans child? Well, I I grew up uh, um, in a family where if we had problems, we tried to bury them really quickly and not talk about them. So <laughs> when I was a teenager, I was I fell into a deep depression around 16. Mm. And when my, I would tell my folks about it, they, I remember them trying to tell me it wasn't true. And mm. they asked me to stop talking about it. Wow. Yeah. It, really quickly. And, and I felt that made me feel ostracized and almost disowned, mm. even though I was present in the home with them. And I remember really just feeling like that was for me a value. I never wanted one of my kids to feel that sense of abandonment. Yeah. Um, that's, and yeah. It, it just breaks my heart, actually, that there are so many home kids and I could really mm. see a future someday of working directly to help combat, but they're just, there's so much uh, education that still needs to happen. Like even for mm -hmm. myself, I was, I was a little disappointed in my ignorance. You know, I, I was not aware that there was a such thing as puberty onset, uh, you know, mm. um, of, uh, that someone could have a, a dysphoria in life. I, I just, I'd known mm. kids that when they were really small, it was very obvious. Um, mm. but I just thought that's how everyone who was transgender was. And so yeah. it was, that was part of our shock and later just felt like, wow, more people need to know that this, you know, you have these, I just went to a gender reveal party a couple of weeks ago and, and I felt like, well, they probably should say that it is a genitalia reveal party. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. No, no, yet. <laughs> I, I'm so pleased you said that because like gender reveal parties are, I just, I mean, I get why people do them, but it just adds that extra pressure and expectation and social kind of conditioning all the time. And, and, and as you say, it is just babies born, look at what's there. Okay. That's what gender they are. And it's, that's not the case. Right. And so I just feel like, you know, shouting from the rooftops, mm. you know, you don't know until, you know, they're all grown up, really. And mm. sometimes, you know, even people don't discover their true selves until they're so it's not a um, it's not a preset that you're just mm. given at birth. And so I feel like more people need to know that there needs to be more biological education um, so that people understand even just the difference between um, attraction and and in the internal sense of self. And it's really frustrating for me in, in dialoguing with people is often when I share my experience, people want me to work this all out for them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's not your responsibility, but they want you to. Right, and so I'm getting better at saying that. Like I've spent mm. a long time reading books and working through this for myself. And there is mm. biodiversity in name. A lot of people, even religiously, some people don't realize how offensive it is to to ask to put you on trial to figure out for them why mm. things aren't black or white or mm. you know God made male female. Why can't your child just figure out what you know be happy with how they are? And so yeah. I'm. <laughs> I told you I Don't get me started. <laughs> I pushed back. Yeah, so good. I, you know, I said, you tell me why people aren't content with their bodies who are uh, more uh, heteronormative, yeah, you know, yeah. like, um, or just say to them, like, hey, I've done my research, I've worked through this, do that for yeah. you, yeah. you know, and not get put in a position of being cornered by someone who wants me to give them a five minute work through mm. on a very complex issue that that in the end I'm not going to be able to convince them about no. how things should be no. anyway no. exactly know? I mean I from my perspective I find that I tend to I kind of try to hone in on one point or one thing that they've said and and for particularly because so many people only see the binary and and think that it's all new, all this, it's all just a trendy thing, all these different gender. And it hasn't, I mean, it's been around for thousands of years, as long as people have existed, but they don't get that it wasn't safe. So people didn't talk about it. They've always existed. And, but people don't, don't like to think about that. They can't cope with it in the same way. Um, ha have you heard of the gender unicorn? No. Oh, I must share it with you. The, the gender unicorn is a, a wonderful resource It's actually on my website under my uh, LGBTQ plus resources. And it's a, 
a little image of a unicorn, basically, that talks about the difference between gender identity, gender expression, sexual attraction, sexual orientation, gender, sex, or, like it's huge. And it because that's what I've found is one of the biggest difficulties that people have is all the terminology and they just can't often cope with all, what all the different words mean. So I'd highly recommend uh, the gender unicorn, which I can put it in the show notes, but you might find that... Um, that useful for those kind of conversations. Great. Yeah, I think I mentioned to you earlier that I tried to find a lot of online support in the early months, looking through different Facebook support groups and things like that. Mm-hmm. And because of all of that vocabulary, um, the insider language that once you're you're in, you're very familiar with, but in mm-hmm. the early days for parents, especially, it's very intimidating. And I found that mm-hmm. a lot of groups that would have trans people in them would often attack new parents who were unfamiliar with the new lingo or had mm. questions that were were well-meaning, but maybe not phrased as well as they would like. They were, had a lot of curiosity and were trying to find um, support, but were all frequently attacked by people for not having it yeah. right from the first go, you know? No. And that's not going to help anyone because you need safe you need to save space as well to find out what's what it all means. Right. So I just feel like we all need to get a lot more gracious in our um, interactions with people, so that mm. that people who are new and don't don't yet know um, what words to use or how to talk about things have different opinions. Like I'm not a fan mm. of, of someone's. I don't. I do not like the term dead name. Um, mm. It it makes me feel like something has died and, and, Mm. and no longer you have, you no longer have access to that. Whereas I see my child as evolving and whether or not their, their gender identity is fluid and changes even in the future again and and again, like this Mm. is all part of their journey and their story. And, and I, I have made mistakes in my life that I, look back at my past and I wish I could edit out parts of my story or, <laughs> or mm, yeah. and then I can't, but they're actually pieces of me that belong. And I think all of our experiences belong. And so that, I think that as a parent, that the idea of a of dead uh, in this journey, it feels, um, it feels misplaced. And mm. um, so I, I think there's space or there should be for more discussions around established terms or thought mm. so that it's not just um, concrete and non-negotiable. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that is also is an interesting point, actually, because that's probably a fundamental difference between being a parent and being the trans person and and actually just for listeners the term dead naming refers to when a trans person has changed their name and someone uses the previous name that they had or the name that they were born with and so people refer to that being dead naming and and in the trans community people don't like to be dead named because it's they've got their their identity as they are now but i also think from a I was just thinking about what you said from a parenting point of view, the the transition of somebody is you've grieved that previous, that name and that, that person, but for a child or an adult, there's a fundamental difference, isn't there, between a parent having to evolve through that and then a child who's felt so uncomfortable and then is now happy with who they are, that, that not wanting to know that person, that previous person, that, that identity can be probably quite a powerful thing for them yeah. but it's actually a painful thing for you like it's it's that the happier they are the harder it can be for you sometimes there's a paradox of experience mm-hmm. there i think that you have to hold intention and accept both it can't it doesn't yeah. have to be either or um mm-hmm. we had a lot of trouble actually getting pregnant the first time our 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 child's an ivf baby And so the name that we gave them was really meaningful to us. Yeah. yeah. And it was, it was a victory out of that experience and it came from where we were in life. And it was so, it was so special to us. So letting go of that, when it's something that you, you, you created together and you did together and then having there be a little bit of a rejection of that, um, you know, yeah, yeah, that's hard. Yeah. Yeah. There's hard parts of that. And so I think that, everybody's in and moving in a process. And so Mm. even parents in their first reaction, isn't how they're going to feel in a year or two years. Um, you know, so I think letting everybody sort of go through their own, um, timing in things Mm. and, and realizing that it's all in, in flux 
And that you're not going to feel the same way the first week that you get news like this, then you're going to feel in a year or 10 years. Yeah, to me, absolutely supports what you were saying previously about needing to have conversations, because if you butt up against each other and like you say, if, you, if you're in the, a Facebook group and you get shut down by somebody, you're not going to want to talk again. And the same goes with the conversation with the child and how you feel and how they feel that keeping the conversation going and keeping it open just creates for a much better outcome all up, I would imagine. Right. Yeah, it's so incredibly complex. And and I I mean, in this country, in the UK, the word transition, obviously, as, as, as you're aware, there, there's a huge amount that can happen within that. But if someone goes to a gender identity clinic and wants to get access to hormones or surgery in this country, they have to change their name. And there are trans people out there who don't want to change their name and the law doesn't allow for a third gender there's this expectation of needing to switch from one to the other not become something else so even when people want to do things and want to be part of this um, process of supporting people it's the system still don't allow it often and it it makes it very very difficult have you found any of that with with your experience of the systems not yet but we're not at, i don't think we're quite at that place um no so we're at this point our child is not real concerned with doing any a change in that direction at this point mm. um more thinking through maybe when they're 18 um yeah so we we don't have to cross that bridge yet but i have been excited about the fact that they recently put out um for passports that they're going to allow an x for gender Oh, really? Fantastic. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Wow. So there's these these victories. I think that we are gaining some ground in those victories. I am disappointed for myself personally um, that it took this sort of close encounter uh, to get more awareness and empathy, empathy mm. towards others. I feel like um, it has given me more of a keen eye to minority justice issues and becoming an advocate in a lot of areas. But I hate that it took mm. a personal experience for me to become more vocal on this topic. And I, I think that more of us need to be stretched um, to this transformative place of acceptance of other human beings. Yeah, um, yeah. And so even if it doesn't directly affect their lives, just to bring this conversation up so that when mm. somebody actually encounters somebody personally, they're more prepared. Yeah, you've you've just summed up the whole reason for me doing this podcast. <laughs> it's wonderful. But I also think you had no reason to know any different because it didn't impact your life. Like I think as humans, we do go around in our own kind of safe little bubbles of what we think we know and it's not until something comes into our lives. I mean, there's so many businesses around the world that have started by someone being impacted by something that or a, a passion that someone starts. I wouldn't be disappointed in yourself. I think that's that's just being human. But I really applaud your your interest and in wanting to to make a difference because it really is to me what makes the world go around. Are there any particular resources that you found useful that you wanted to share? You mentioned some books earlier, the transmission and some other ones. I just wanted to make sure we we include some in the show notes. Yeah, I think there need to be more. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was surprised that there weren't more or that they were harder to find. And we do need more experiences and from parents and their experiences. Um, but it, it all still feels like, like you said, it's it's been going on for, for as long as history has existed, but there still are a lot of, um, there's still an absence of accessibility um, mm. for people that are unmotivated. Um, but I'm, I'm thinking when you were talking, it brought up that a lot of people think about, you know, we have these culture wars in the States. You talk about culture wars and this, mm. this thought that people can, um, in schools, that if they can control things or prevent things, that there's this belief, at least in, in kind of right leaning society, that mm. if they just don't teach about gender expression, that kids are not going to turn. It won't be transgender kids if we just yeah. uh, don't tell them that that's an option. <laughs> exactly. I was going to say, I haven't turned straight by all the uh, the education that I had. Well, it, it, for, <laughs> it goes both ways. for those of us on this side, it's laughable, right? But um, yeah. that we have to acknowledge. But I just think from my personal experience, it's really interesting because here I am raising three kids in the Middle East. I have one that's transgender and one at this point that thinks that he's gay. Um, So here we have no exposure to LGBTQ people at all for their entire lives. That that you're aware of, at least. (laughs) 
Right. And, and so I, I think that that just dispels that notion that out of yeah. sight, out of mind, or that this is something that happens because of environment or any of those things, you know, yeah. I think it's, it's good for people in that as funny as it sounds to those of us that are more exposed, um, th- that it is, uh, is naive and circulating. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I also think it's a very comfortable thing to position yourself in, isn't it? It's like, if we don't talk about it, it doesn't exist. It's like, if we don't talk about death, it doesn't happen. It's, it, it, it's just a complete denial and it suits people, but it, it actually, all it does is just create damage and um, makes it harder for everybody, really. I wanted to ask you, what's the best thing about your child being trans? Yes, um, I think that, like like I was saying earlier, just the idea that it has put me more in a place of empathy. Um, I'm a I'm mm. a person who really has a passion for justice for undervoiced people, which is why I work in the Middle East. Mm. Um, I think that it's very easy to vilify a people that we don't personally know face to face. We make enemies so easy yeah. in this polarized society we live in. Mm. And so uh, just one more way that I've been stretched to think about and can have compassion for other human beings. Mm. I think that's been, been um, the best part of it for me. Yeah, that's wonderful. Does he know that that's how you feel that that's what this is experience has given you have you shared that with him i i hope so i i mean we we do talk about these things often as they come up and really try to um as a family like we've taken on a little bit of an identity on this as being yeah. uh something that we're we're about now um mm. so so yeah i th- i think so yeah it's <laughs> wonderful i also want to ask you what has most surprised you about the experience? Mm, Good question. I think that there's no manual, you know, often Mm. in life, I've looked for the recipe, you know, the right way (laughs) about things, the the right questions to ask. And, and a surprise has been how my child often perceives things. And this is important for parents to know is that you can feel like you're asking a question just out of curiosity. Mm. They can perceive it as a negation of the validity of their truth sometimes asking too many questions, even though you feel like you're being present and you're, you're journeying with them can Mm. make them feel like you're suspect that they're not really being taken for face value. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Is is that heightened? Do you think with a trans child, as opposed to kind of like normal teenage behavior? That's the thing. It is very Mm. difficult to decipher when they're having a mood swing because they're a teenager, (laughs) when they're having a bad day because something's occurred with gender or they're feeling extremely dysphoric. So we often, and and this can be a great tool for parents. I think we, from time to time, we just ask like, how are you feeling about your body on a scale of one to 10? Mm. And they don't always have the words to vocalize, you know, in an articulate way, exactly how they're feeling, but it gives something to just say, Hey, every once in a while, we're just tapping in. We're trying to check in. Yeah. yeah, Just, is there's anything that needs to happen? I think with our child in particular, after bedtime, often they like to pace back out to the kitchen several Mm -hmm. times. And so you can sort of judge how many times they do that. And if there's a reason, (laughs) if they want to talk about something, if they do, and, and there is a little bit of trying to figure out when you just completely drop everything to deal with your kids' issues and when you need space for your own issues. Yeah. You know, there's, there's a lot to deal with in your midlife crisis stage as you've got teenagers and. and <laughs> yeah, regardless of anything else. <laughs> yeah. So just giving yourself time to step back and mm. um, get the support that you need or um, get time just out of the house and um, and then come yeah. back and refuel and be there when you are yeah. feeling good about that. Yeah. 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 And that's I think that's really important. I mean, I know it's such a, a buzzword these days talking about self-care, but whatever form that takes, it's so important. Um, I also wanted to ask you, as listeners of this who may be allies as opposed to people who are trans or who have these experiences in their, their own lives, um, what can allies do to help trans people and their families? That's a great question. I think, um, is it, again, just like agitating, I think a little bit, like just mm. bringing things up, even when it's not necessary, talking about things, even when you have no kids or relatives, getting it more out there with people for no reason at, at all. Like mm. socially, it just needs to be discussed more and not 
uh, just something that's far away and unrelated to people's lives. Like um, we, with family, you asked about extended family, you know, mm. our, on my husband's side, it was very easy. We just told them and they heard and they listened and they did their best to switch pronouns. And there was just an unconditional love mm. um, with my family. That's deeply conservative. I knew mm. that that wouldn't go over as easily. I worked actually with a, a better help therapist for a couple months to just be able to process what I wanted to say to them mm. and how to put it in words that wouldn't allow them to be so defensive to just kind of let them in on what was happening in our lives without maybe getting into specifics. Mm. Um, but to start to slowly reveal so that it wouldn't be someday something that was completely out of, of left field. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I, I, I created this letter I was really happy with and, and sent it and it was still a month before I, heard even a response. Um, Mm -hmm. and then there was a a very short, quick response and then it was never brought up again. Um, and even when we would visit, like it was just a non-issue, no more questions. Let's again, just put it under the rug and pretend it didn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. As you say, like your, like your childhood. Yeah. So I, I think I just, I hope for people that challenge, challenge people that are, I, it's not me that has to talk to family sometimes Mm -hmm. that there's, there's others that are willing to, uh, broach those topics and mm-hmm. and push people a little more. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And I think also what to add on to that is how important visibility is, is that just constantly bringing it up and talking about it. So it's not othered all the time that it included in part of what we see as normal society, because I hate that word normal, but I'm using it very intentionally in that, that context, because otherwise we other people and normal is this massive bandwidth of just the human condition and there's so much that's hidden and not talked about and therefore then we think it's abnormal and it's not and I think your approach is a really really good one and to encourage other people to talk about it um, and to ask questions and to just get a conversation going. Yeah I think it's great that there's more representation too in film and in um, in television and we need to have more available to a younger audience as well. Yeah. So I think there's a lot that we were searching for in the early days as we wanted to talk about it more as a family and make it mm. more normalized mm. but we weren't finding a lot of shows that were accessible to an under PG-13 audience. Well that's that's really interesting too actually I hadn't thought about that because there is I mean there's stuff out there but not still not a huge amount but actually then that fits that age group yeah right I mean our youngest was eight or nine at the time and so really being able to give them some ideas of how that could look and other people they could look to Mm -hmm. um that just wasn't there unless it was very you know focused on the the sexual relationships of that or things that we wouldn't necessarily watch as a family um, with young kids Yeah. yeah Yeah. And and also, actually, I mean, I know quite a lot of trans people who've who've always known, like they've always thought that they're uh, in the wrong body or or don't even refer to themselves as trans because they they were born in a male body, but have always thought of themselves as a woman like it's that. And they've known since tiny, tiny age. So we we also need resources for for kids who are going through that experience with their own bodies of that age maybe this is something we maybe we've just created a project jennifer (laughs) (laughs) inspiring um, someone yeah exactly exactly um just before we we finish was there anything else lasting advice that you wanted to to give listeners anything that you wanted to say Hmm. yeah i think as a parent it's it's difficult to know exactly how things are going to go but finding out what your child needs from you that's an important question so mm. that was one of our first ones is what what do you feel like could help you now you know we didn't yeah. have access to hormones we obviously can't go have any major surgeries at this mm. age um, but what would help today and and it was it was like um, getting their hair cut short or, you know, making it multicolored, dyeing mm. it, you know, fun things to express themselves or going and buying a bunch of sports clothes that just allowed them to feel like themselves or ordering a binder. 
Um, you know, getting, getting, getting a swimsuit that they felt comfortable in, you know, um, there are these steps you can take that, that don't have to be you saying like, what you know, I'm going to pay for immediate surgery tomorrow, but, Mm. um, that show that you're, you're trying to make an effort towards them feeling uh, less dysphoric. And, and I think that's, that's just been really helpful is just taking baby steps with them Mm. and then seeing that they, in time, they are getting a little bit more comfortable with some aspects Mm. uh, as they, they get more, uh, okay in their body. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and I think as a parent too, it's difficult to know what things are uh, completely transgender related and what things are other um, issues that need more therapy, cognitive behavioral yeah. therapy, or um, other aspects of the mental health picture. Yeah. Um, so just being willing to continue to give them what they feel like they need. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really good because I also think it, it, as that slow approach helps parents get their heads around it all as well. It's not a, an instantaneous thing. It's, it's something you can be doing together really as a, as a family and, and things like, I mean, I've growing up very rarely ever shopped in the women's section. I don't, I really hate women's clothes. So I'd often shop in the men's section, but, but even then I was thinking things like underwear, even if it's not visible to someone else wearing male underwear or wearing underwear that's different um can help all those little things and i actually i've got one one last question did you make changes in your home with things like i've heard of other parents of trans children the changes that they made with things like taking down some of the the older photos that had them uh in their their other gender have you found that you've had to do any of those kind of things no, but we've definitely, I mean, we've asked, uh, those aren't things that, um, that have been troubling for our child in particular. So, but I think, uh, that those are important. Yeah. Those are important mm-hmm. questions to ask because it just varies so much every yeah. experience for what, what makes them feel, um, one way or the other. Yeah. Yeah. And I think actually that's a really good point to end on is that, uh, we talk about trans people and we kind of homogenize what it means to be trans but actually like all of us that there's a massive bandwidth of what that means and what people's journeys are and what people want to do with their bodies or what their transition means to them so yeah so thank you thank you wow thank you so much jennifer i'm um i really appreciate you talking about your experiences and particularly educating me as well as others about the the Middle East and how it's easy to often to generalize and to think the worst and I think you've given me a nice reminder as well to to not generalize um and I also wanted to thank in addition to you please thank your family um for being with me as well today because I know that when you speak it's not just you you're speaking for your family and it affects everyone so Thank you so much. And I really, really, really appreciate your time today. Oh, it's a really important issue. And I'm so thankful there's people out there like you that are giving a voice. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. You've been listening to Drawn to a Deeper Story. Thanks for listening.